everyone and thank you so very much for joining me on another episode of Talking Cloud. Now, you know, this is where we talk about cloud, all things cloud, anything cloud, no holds barred. And you know, that's a big, big word, cloud, and it just seems to be getting bigger every day. Now, you know, <laughs> I'm no expert, but one of the things I really pride myself on being able to do is is find the experts and having them on the program. And man, oh man, I'm so excited about today because, you know, I went global today and we've got someone that has, I mean, this organization that he founded and is the board member and co-managing director. I mean, these guys have won countless awards. I'll let him tell you about the most recent that they just won from uh, AWS being a premier partner. And they're focused on consulting. And get this, it's not just AWS. It's actually AWS for years, Google for years, Microsoft for years, deep into Oracle this guy's got a long, long history in SAP and the consultative approach. Super, super excited to have with us today, Andy Waroma, who is the founder at Cloud Comrade in Singapore. Andy, thanks a ton for uh, getting up early, having some coffee and, and joining us on the program. Hey, good morning, Grant. I guess it's afternoon for you. Yeah, it is. It's all good. It, no matter what time it is, it's uh, it's morning somewhere and afternoon somewhere. So, uh, hey, do me a favor because I just know I didn't do you justice. If you if you can kind of just give a bit of a background because you guys are unique, not just Cloud Comrade, but maybe tell a little bit about your history, how you got to where you founded uh, Cloud Comrade, but then also. What's unusual is you're long in the tooth on more than just one cloud. Yeah, sure, Grant. Uh, so thank you again so much for the uh, invitation to your podcast. It's great to be here. Uh, my history has been in IT for pretty much all of my life. So I started in uh, Capgemini, Ernst & Young in Finland about uh, 23, 24 years ago, I guess now. And I was an SAP consultant back then. Um, as you know, Finland is a pretty cold country and, and uh, Singapore is not, so I thought I had to have an extended vacation here and I moved to Singapore about 20 years ago. And I spent first <laughs> 11 years with It started with as a vacation? Is that what you, you well, said? It was a vacation that turned into 20 years? Well, it felt like that, yes. Uh, permanent vacation almost. No, it's been hard work, but I mean, it's been great being in Singapore because Singapore is the hub for uh, Asia Pacific. Mm -hmm. And that has allowed to me to um, see really this part of the world and been traveling to many, many different countries. So the first 11 years I was with SAP, um, always been in the corporate life, had the chance to go and uh, be participating in a startup company after my life with SAP, 
didn't go so well. Um, the startup didn't really take off the way we thought it would be taking off. Went back to the corporate life and really realized that I can't have a boss anymore. <clears throat> so I need, need to go and set up something which hopefully this time will actually work. And I had come across AWS a couple of years before in 2012, and I thought that this is something that actually would be needed by our customers and what the market is requiring. AWS was still relatively unknown quantity in the IT industry as a whole in, in Singapore at the time. And around about 2013 or so, I started putting this business plan together for Cloud Comrade. I asked one of my colleagues, Rick, uh, ex-colleagues, uh, Rick, whether he would like to be part of this thing. And then we set up the company after much deliberation in 2014 with no customers, really no employees or anything else, but with the vision that we want to be migrating our customers' workloads from an on-premise environment to a cloud environment, in this case with AWS, and then also providing 24-7 managed services for our customers. Mm. Six years later, uh, we have had more than 400 customers. Mm. We have close to 100 employees. We have offices in four different countries in six different locations. And uh, like you said, uh, we have been also getting some industry recognition uh, from our partners. Wow, that's outstanding. And you now have expanded far beyond AWS, correct? Yeah, so we started with AWS in 2014. AWS, as you might know, has really two sides to it. One is the commercial sector, the other one is the public sector. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that our first deal happened to be in the commercial sector. The second one happened to be in the public sector. And ever since then, it's been pretty even for us uh, on the AWS side. 2015, we came across a customer who wanted to do something and host some infrastructure in mainland China. And in AWS, you could potentially do this. However, there's some red tape from a government perspective that it makes it more difficult. And um, Alibaba Cloud was looking for some partners. So it became Alibaba Cloud's first partner really in Southeast hmm. Asia wow. for the purpose for us being able to host workloads also in mainland China. That's in awesome. In 2016, a uh, number of the guys who had really joined AWS as the first generation here in Singapore, they decided to go to Google Cloud. Google was building up that uh, practice at the time, and they asked us whether we would want to be also a GCP partner, which we did in 2016. So they left and went to Google knowing you, your organization and reputation asked, hey, would you come support our efforts? Yeah, I mean, obviously they would have done that with or without us, but uh, sure. because they knew what what we had been doing in the AWS space, uh, they said that well, maybe this is also something that where you want to ex want to expand to, and because we knew the people at the time, so we thought that yes, this might make sense to go and explore how GCP would be different from what AWS or Alibaba had been doing. Mm -hmm. And now that also includes Azure. Well, in 2017, pretty much the same thing happened. Some of the guys that we knew from AWS, they went to Microsoft and uh, they said that, would you also want to explore Azure? And said, well, since we're already doing these three platforms, why not do also Microsoft Azure? And the following year in 2018, uh, we had a couple of guys that we knew they, they were with um, Oracle Cloud OCI. So they said that, well, uh, would you want to consider? We said, yes, <laughs> 2019. Uh, we were asked by AWS to look into VMware on AWS. Mm. Um, 
and uh, we we locked in that partnership at the time. And then this year we have also expanded to Huawei Cloud. Now that might sound like it's a lot of cloud, but it does not mean that we do everything for all of those providers. We actually do a very, very narrow band. We help our customers to migrate from on-premise do a cloud platform and then providing them with 24-7 managed services, whether be it on the infrastructure side or whether be it on the uh, security side. So we don't necessarily touch analytics. We don't necessarily touch um, machine learning, AI or contact centers or, or things like this. We really focus on the core infrastructure in the virtual machine space, networking, um, storage, and that's what we do for our customers. And so is the process someone would come to you i mean maybe let me put it in another way describe a typical customer that you would either find or that would find you what what's their profile where would they be in their overall journey what would you help them with i think it has changed quite a bit over time in the past six and a half years in the beginning when we went to a customer base and said hey have you considered cloud uh, the answer was well is this secure who does the data belong to um i don't know whether we should be doing this um in the beginning the customers that we saw they were looking at moving their web servers their file servers and maybe some storage on a cloud platform mm-hmm. but they were not they said they were saying for instance that the last thing i'm going to be bringing to a cloud is my core mission critical applications such right. as sap right, right now six and a half years later it has completely changed customers do not necessarily care where their web servers are running where their file servers are running that's not really changing their business in any which meaningful way what they are really looking at is securing their most important IT assets, like for instance SAP, um, and making sure that those applications are running 24/7, frictionless, and they scale as their business scales up. Mm-hmm. And in recent years, I would say in 12 to 24-month period, we have seen many, many more customers coming to us. For example, wanting to migrate their SAP applications across. They start with the core and the heart of the organization in terms of the IT assets. And once they are feeling that, yes, this is working for us, then they start looking at the peripheral applications as well and moving everything across. So we see a lot of customers now who are thinking about data center evacuation and wanting to move all of their infrastructure, starting with the mission critical applications first, and then taking the rest um, of what they have left behind. Hmm. Wow, what a turnaround, huh? I mean, compared to, compared to how it was originally and the approach originally, and now it's they can't get there fast enough, it sounds like. That's right. I think the other thing that has changed is the um, also the IT modernization. So previously was really looking at moving the commercially off-the-shelf applications onto a cloud platform. Now our customers are starting to realize that cloud is not just another place to host their applications, but there are many, many cloud-native services. For instance, Kubernetes clusters, for instance, serverless uh, technologies, for instance, CI/CD, which allows them to go and provision IT in a very different manner than they potentially could do in their own in-house data centers. Yeah, yeah. You know, I saw a meme that I thought was brilliant. It was pets versus farm animals, you know, pets you gave names to and you took care of and you did all you could to keep them alive as long as you can. Cows, you tag them in the ear and if they die, you got a replacement. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think fact, that could be that. And, and it's actually, I mean, it goes beyond that with cows, right? I mean, it's that's what they're for, to be slaughtered and you get more. Uh, in fact, I've heard that's becoming the new approach to IT where, you know, the old way was to patch it, maintain it, and keep it going. And now it's kind of like you 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 fire it up, you burn it hot, then you tear it down and build a new one. Do you, do you see that kind of uh, occurrence happening? Yes, and I think that's where uh, we see some of the challenges for our customers to adapt from a security perspective. Because let's say we have a Kubernetes containers or Docker containers that live there for a few seconds or for a few minutes. Uh, how do you validate? How do you audit what actually happened and transpired within those transactions? And mm-hmm. I think this is a fundamental mindset change for many of our customers how to approach security. So you are no longer, like you rightfully said, patching service. You're no, not maintaining the existing infrastructure. You provision something. When you are unhappy with what you have provisioned, you destroy that, and then you reprovision with the new version, and uh, and then you need to be prepared what that new version brings to the platform. Right. And, you know, let me ask another question, because it seems like, one of the significant changes, and I'm really interested in getting your thoughts on this, but one of the big changes, in addition to the infra side, is kind of on the app side, where previously I'd build my app in my data center and I kind of had this monolithic bucket up with my app that I could look at and monitor and watch and I knew where it was. It was kind of like my tamed animal in a cage. And now... That app might be multiple microservices and components with a database from here today and a different relational database tomorrow that gets kind of plugged in. It's not monolithic like it used to be. And it seems like we need solutions that limit tolerances, right? I mean, it's the perimeter around each individual thing that says you can only talk to Andy but Andy can't talk back to you. He can only listen. Is that happening? It seems like it is. It is happening, and it's happening with a certain um, number of our customers. But I always say that we are in a lucky situation in here in Singapore and Asia-Pacific that we have a time machine at our hand. Why? What I mean by that one, so whatever happens in U.S. today will surely happen here in about two years' time. And we can kind of like predict the future because of that. So yes, we see customers who have embraced uh, containers, who have embraced serverless technologies, who have embraced this um, non-monolithic application development philosophies. Um, But this is still a small percentage of our customers that Mm -hmm. we are currently dealing with. Mm -hmm. And the expertise around in this region is still relatively uh, low, with the exception of the digital native companies who have been building their businesses around these cloud platform technologies since their beginning. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a really interesting observation, Andy. And in fact, this will show it's going to date me here. But <clears throat> many years ago, I opened the office for Apple Computer up in Anchorage, Alaska, And, you know, it seemed like an eternity away from America, you know, the lower 48. Uh, And it is, you know, some 1,500 miles to Anchorage from Seattle to Anchorage. But it was also true, maybe not to a two-year duration, but 
It was also true in tech. What was happening down in the quote unquote lower 48 would be somewhere around six months to a year behind up in Alaska. So it was the benefit of seeing what was happening, just like you're talking about and actually being able to see it. And I can distinctly recall, and I'm sure you remember, when the marketplace bifurcated and all of a sudden there were CompUSAs and computer cities everywhere with stacks of computers for cheap And then all those that used to be dealers that had any value went into the non-storefront mode and became what we know as VARs. Also, what we can see is that um, what do we need to be prepared for? What are the upcoming trends that are actually now starting to work elsewhere? So we know how to get our people certified. We know how to get our people ready. In some cases, when our customers are wanting to move this new type of technologies or applications onto a cloud platform, a lot of that thing revolves around security compliance and making sure that uh, nothing gets breached or uh, any way affected in a way that it they shouldn't be affected. For instance, the security uh, sector in IT is evolving extremely fast. There's so many different software providers out there, but there are very few who actually are able to bring us technologies when we as a main service provider are needing to take care end-to-end of our customer security. And um, that's what we are constantly looking for and mindful of so that we have the latest and greatest uh, security technologies to protect our customers' workloads. Yeah, and that's really kind of taking the service model uh, and blending it with the expertise, right? I mean, we all, I, I, there's no doubt it's so much easier for me to just plug in rather than having to worry about a wheel in a river or creek behind my house for generating power, right? I mean, it's far simpler. But the cloud's different because it's also complex, it's fast-moving, and that's where the consultative services that your organization provides I think it's so critical, but I really see that model being the model that will prevail so that your customers can get focused on whatever it is they do, making tires, making PCB boards, whatever, right? And not worrying about their cloud security. Exactly. I I always say that um, most of our customers don't really get differentiations from the IT systems that they're running. They get differentiation from the business and the business processes, what they're doing, and then they have IT systems underneath to support those business processes. And what we want to do for them is that we take care of their IT systems so that they can focus on reinventing themselves, serving their customers better, and they don't have to think about the IT infrastructure that is supporting their processes. Um, So that's our job. Yeah, yeah. And so describe a typical customer and how that workflow might look with engagement with Cloud Comrade. If you could choose, we probably would want to only do main services on the cloud, but Somehow we have to get those applications onto the cloud, hence the first part, which is the migrations uh, in order for us to be able to manage anything. Mm-hmm. So typically uh, we, we see customer who has, who is, for example, running the SAP system um, at in their data center 
and they are maybe wanting to upgrade their database from a SQL-based database to SAP HANA, which is an in-memory database, or maybe their their hardware is expiring, coming end to end of life, and they they are thinking about uh, renewing or buying something new on their on-premise scenario. Now, especially in economics uncertain times, uh, people don't necessarily want to heavily invest into hardware on-premise because they don't know whether their business is going to be going up or whether it's going to be going down. So the perfect place to do that in uncertain times is cloud because you can scale up and down as the business changes. So that's usually when our customers start and look at, well, what if I was to migrate my existing applications, like in this case SAP, onto a cloud platform like AWS or Google or Azure, what would it mean for me? What would it mean for me from a cost perspective? What would it mean for me from a process and access perspective? What would it mean for me from a security perspective? And we always tell the customer, it does not matter even if you move one server for them, we always do some re-architecting based on the services that the cloud platform provider has because we want to take, take advantage of the native services that those platform providers have been innovating and, and coming up with and our customers should be using. Now, then we come up with a migration plan we come up with an implementation plan and techno uh, and an, an architecture for the uh, to be environment. We migrate the customer over. We make sure that their RTO RPO is as it should be. We try to automate as much as we can underneath on the IT landscape so that uh, when they are running it, they uh, face as few disruptions as possible, and then they can keep their systems up and running on a 24/7 basis. Now, that's when it usually hands over to our main services side, where we take care of patching, we take care of DR, we take care of right sizing, cost optimization, we take care of intrusion detection, intrusion prevention, anti-malware, antivirus, uh, we take care of the uh, access management, we take care of the customer's compliance, and we, we take ticketing for the level one to level two. And if we can't resolve those tickets, then we would be flipping them over to a platform provider or the application provider to ensure that the customer essentially does not feel any disruptions. And I always say that the dilemma for a managed services provider is this. If the customer has to send us tickets all the time, they will be asking, Andy, what am I paying you for? And if we do our job so well that they don't have to send us any tickets, what am I paying you for? That's funny. So let me ask this. You know, you mentioned a few times cloud native. I'd like to just hear your spin on this. Sometimes you get mixed messages. Some that say, hey, just lift and shift. If you've got VMs now, move them into the cloud. You know, get rid of your data center. And then you have others that are saying, hey, that's, uh, let this be a cautionary tale. Don't lift and shift. You'll get handcuffed. What's your counsel for customers that are starting this journey? Um, my general counsel is this. Um, and of, of course, it depends individually of customer to customer. But in, in generic terms, I would say that lift and shift first. Just get onto a cloud platform and move those virtual machines over. Once you're on a cloud platform, then you can slowly start changing the environment to optimize and using these cloud native services. So, so for instance, uh, using 
cloud-native analytical tools, for example, like Amazon Redshift or BigQuery in Google, um, you can start moving some of those applications to a container-based technologies. You can cut new programs and use serverless technologies. And these are not available, obviously, on-premise, so it does not make sense to re-architect everything on-premise on a technology that does not exist on a cloud platform. What makes sense is to move those applications across to a cloud platform and then start changing them to a more cloud-native um, environment. Now, for instance, a lot of our customers are quite enthused, again, about uh, Kubernetes, and the reason being is that they feel it's a cloud-agnostic tool. So one, today, if they're not happy with one of the cloud platform providers, they can just start pushing those containers to a different cloud platform provider tomorrow. So they feel that if they containerize their applications, um, then they have more freedom and liberty to move across the different platforms in tomorrow should something change from a pricing perspective or from a compliance perspective, uh, which um, gives them the ability to, to go anywhere they want to go. A little more vendor agnostic for them, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, five, six years ago when we started this business, it was just about for our customers to decide whether to go on cloud or not to go on cloud. And if you were to talk to them about multi-cloud platform, back then they would have said, no, this is too much for us to handle in one go. In the past, I would say 18 to 24 months again, we have seen especially bigger customers to start looking at different platforms. They might choose, let's say AWS as their primary platform, but then they said that we cannot run our DR on the same platform, so we might want to go to Azure or we might want to go to Google. Yep. Also, these different uh, platforms, they have their pros and cons. And for instance, Google is quite strong when it comes to machine learning and analytics, for example. Microsoft is very, very good when it comes to Microsoft-centric, Windows-centric applications. Um, and AWS is excellent when it comes to networking and the wide variety of virtual machines, for example. Mm -hmm. So there is merits of using multiple different platforms, especially for large organizations. Yep, no question. And what I always say, and I'll be curious if you concur, all of them are summiting the same mountain. They're just each taking different paths because some have things that matter and some don't, meaning matter to them. Microsoft obviously cares a lot about Active Directory. I don't know how much that matters to the others, right? And it just plays an influencing role in the way they navigate their cloud offerings. That's correct. I mean, there's obviously the technology aspect that plays to, into that, but then there's also the partner and the commercial aspect. And this is a little bit oversimplified, but when I'm looking at people who are buying AWS, they're typically the CTOs and the CIOs on the buying side, they like that technology and they feel like, yes, this, this gives me what I want to be doing as an organization. But many times the CIOs and the CTOs are not necessarily the decision makers what platform to use across the organization. It might be the COO or the CFO. And if it is the CFO, the CFO might might say, well, I like the commercial model from uh, Microsoft because that actually gives me everything I can get get my end user productivity solutions, I can get my uh, cloud platform subscriptions, I can get my operating system licenses, I can get it all end to end 
with a predictable price for the organization, and therefore I might want want to do that. Very you, interesting. Yeah, no, I, that's that's very interesting. And again, those those sacred cows or whatever you want to call them, those those various and different components and how they can leverage them ends up resulting in a, a, a varied and lumpy landscape sometimes when you try to draw parity in functionality from one to the other. It's almost impossible. Some have their, like you were saying, their strengths with some that aren't necessarily found in others. Is that accurate? It is absolutely accurate. And maybe just to add into what I was saying about the Google and Microsoft example, sometimes the decision maker is also the CEO for the organization. The CEO says, well, I choose what cloud platform we're going to be buying. And I'm using this thing called Google every day and so simple and so easy. Why can't, why can't our company be like this one? And then the CEO might say, well, I want to have the Google cloud platform that's going to be run in, in my company for all of our applications. So that, that, that's one aspect of the decision-making. Um, we see also a lot of customers in Southeast Asia, like I said, for example, pricing, pricing plays a big part. And mm-hmm. we have gotten this question so often asking us, now tell, tell us which one is the cheapest. Mm. But this is like asking the age-old question that how long is a piece of string, right? Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. And I feel that the platform providers built their virtual machines in a way from a sizing perspective, that it makes it almost impossible to compare uh, Apple to Apple uh, and tell the customer, well, this is the cheapest and the m- most performing option for you. So there's different chipsets, different Intel and AMD chips inside. There's different performance benchmarks. There's different uh, generations of virtual machines with different memory and, and CPU options. So I think it becomes almost next to impossible to say that which one is the best, cheapest, or most performing platform for you, dear customer. It's not just about the price. It's about the regions that are made available to you, the connectivity, the latency, the additional services, and what you want to be doing with the platform in the next two to three years that needs to be driving the decision just besides of the pricing. Yeah, you're exactly right. So really, they're a sum of all of the parts, right? You can't measure it based on price or, or any one thing, but it's, it's, it's the entire total experience. I, and I think you're exactly right, Andy. I think they've done all they can to obfuscate and hide anyone's ability to draw any kind of one-to-one comparison between the two. I don't think it's even possible. It's uh, It might have been possible still several years ago, but now when you're looking at the depth and breadth of the services and the different options that these platform providers have, I think it's now next to impossible. Yeah, let me ask another question about governance and data residency, because in Singapore, isn't that, if I remember right, I was there last year and made a bunch of calls, had some events I spoke at, and I remember both Amazon and Microsoft were building data centers in Singapore because that was the only way they could get the government's cloud business. Is, am I remembering that correctly? Um, that's correct. But I think there's various reasons why all of the platform providers, so AWS, Microsoft, Google, Alibaba Cloud, Huawei Cloud, um, all of, why all of these guys have their data centers in Singapore. Singapore is a very 
infrastructure friendly pace it's a very stable pace from a geopolitical perspective and also from a potential natural disasters or anything else we don't have earthquakes we don't have tsunamis we don't have uh, any hurricanes or anything else that would actually impose some kind of a threat towards the data center so singapore is a very safe place to have those data data centers first and foremost hmm. um, also, from a networking perspective, Singapore has been building an excellent network with the different telcos here. So when it comes to co- connectivity and latency and the, the building infrastructure for data centers, so this is the right place to do that. Mm. But yes, uh, when, when you're looking at, for example, the Singapore government, which is an extremely heavy user of cloud and has been doing that for the longest time, obviously they would be expecting that infrastructure to be residing in Singapore as well. So that's another reason for that one. Yeah, if I speak selfishly, I love going to Singapore because everything's in English. It's really quite nice, I must say. Yeah, it's very easy to, if, if, if you speak English, it's very easy to be here. If you speak Chinese, it's easy to be here. If you speak another language, it's also probably easy to be here because it's a very multicultural place. Mm-hmm. But, but, but just looking at them from an infrastructure point of view, when, we, when you go to the south of Singapore, where we have Indonesia, when you go to the north, where we have Malaysia, for example, um, Malaysia probably as a um, country is not big enough to warrant its own regions. For uh, Alibaba Cloud has built its own cloud region there uh, in the past. Uh, Google and AWS has not done so yet. Maybe at some point of time they will. Who knows? Mm-hmm. In Indonesia, we have 270 million people. So it's a, it's a big country with big population and GDP of about 1.2 trillion US dollars. And there, uh, for instance, Google has said, yes, it makes sense for us to build a region. Um, there are a number of unicorns in the country um, that are big con- consumers of right. cloud computing. And uh, AWS, for instance, has also announced that they will be having a region there. Alibaba Cloud, again, was the first cloud business to have a um, region there. And we see that these cloud platform providers are building more and more data centers in this part of the world because also for the fact that these governments are saying that, well, certain workloads cannot be run outside of right. the country, especially when it comes to finance and when it comes to certain governmental workloads. Yeah, yep. the compliance. Yeah, especially central banks are driving this and uh, they are also changing and trying to adopt this new kind of a technology world. And previously, they were saying that, well, maybe it can be residing somewhere else. But of course, also from an economic impact point of view, it might make sense for a number of countries say, well, it, the data has to be residing in country mm-hmm. in order to ensure that there are investments coming from these big technology providers into the countries as well. Got it. Interesting. So pretty bright future being in cloud and cloud security, it sounds like, Andy. Um, it is. Um, I mean, there are a few aspects, of course, like in any business. Uh, I think it's a market that is growing very fast. There's a lot of adoption. I think the question of if cloud is no longer there, it's more like when cloud and what, what pays and how to ensure that things are done in the right way. How do the customers find the right partner and the vendor um, to do and realize their vision moving forward. There's definitely a constraint in terms of resourcing resources and capable people 
um, who we can hire, who our competition can hire. So that's one of the limiting factors. Um, the, the market needs to mature. Um, educational institutions need to bring about more people who are mm-hmm. well-versed and understanding the new world of cloud and, and serverless technologies and containers and anything else. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Also, we have seen that when we started this business, we rarely had any competition. There were maybe a few other board in the cloud companies that were competing with us every now and then from a deal-to-deal basis. Many of these deals were completely uncontested. Today, every single company is saying that we are doing cloud. Whether they actually do it or don't do it, I don't know, but um, from a competition point of view, uh, there's many, many more companies who are claiming that they do what what we what we have been doing for a number of years. Yeah, I think Andy, you know, your point is that the water has gotten awfully muddy because it is the word du jour. I mean, come on, you know, I've said this more than one time on this program and in presentations, but when you see at the local Starbucks on the menu, cloud macchiato, (laughs) Andy, and I am not, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. You know, that just shows you how everyone is using the word, but really don't there's a little mattress company, you know, that sells mattresses, and that's their line. Come on in and get your own private cloud. So, so this is the problem, right? This is the confusion. Because it's become so popular, back to your point, the water's gotten incredibly muddy with a lot of people that claim to do cloud, but they really don't. The people that are listening saying, gosh, man, I really wish I could get myself together and get a plan going and uh, what would you recommend they do for just getting a good strategy going for getting into the cloud Uh, and then tell people how to get a hold of you i mean like you rightly said i mean there's different flavors of cloud there's um uh, SaaS, there is pass there is iis and everything else, we as a company only focus on IAS, so infrastructure as a service. Um, so we are the guys who replaced the guys who were going to the data centers and they blew overalls and were racking and stacking stuff. So now we do that virtually, essentially. So that's that's what we do and that's where we can advise our customers. We, can, we can, don't really advise them what to do with their um, Salesforce applications, for example, anything anything like that. But I think one way of trying to dissect which are the providers who are actually genuine and who actually can do something in this space is not what we say and what we do. Um, The cloud platform providers have actually been pretty good at coming up with certifications and competencies, how they measure their partner's effectiveness. So for instance, in our company, every single employee is AWS certified, whether they are working in the back office in finance or HR or anything else, everyone has at least some kind of an AWS certification that they have done and it's been certified by a third party uh, educational institution or training center. And the reason why we do this is that when we deal in cloud, we want to make sure that our people understand the nomenclature, they understand what we are talking about. If there's a billing dispute, for instance, what does S3 mean? What does EBS mean? What does EC2 mean? So people are understanding that one. Yeah. 
And I always say that it's actually, if you wanted to build a cloud native company like ours, uh, it's not that difficult. I mean, we would just go and hire some consultants in the market and, and build something. There's a lot of smart people out there. What is really, really difficult to get it right is uh, the, all the back office processes like finance and, um, and sales operations and everything else. Because in traditional companies, this is not what they have been doing. And there's a huge learning curve to get it done. We didn't have any legacy. So we were able to build it from scratch for our own organization. Mm. The second part, which is also important for the customers to understand is that there are different tiers of partners. So for instance, um, when you are starting up with um, AWS, you are a registered partner, uh, or, or when you scale up, you're going to select partner. Once you have shown that you can do something, you have number of implementations and certain amount of revenue, you can scale up to become an advanced partner. And once you have really shown that what you can do in the business, you have dealt with number of customers, number of references, a certain number of uh, certifications, then you can also apply to become a premier partner. And out of the 20,000 plus partners that AWS has there globally, only about 100 plus are premier partners worldwide. And we are one of them. We are one of the first ones in Southeast Asia. And that hopefully gives the customers certain kind of a confidence that yep. these guys know what they're talking about. On top of that, AWS is asking us, for example, to work on competencies. So when we do SAP migrations, for example, they're asking us to take an SAP competency. When we do migrations, they're asking us to do a migration competency. Um, these competencies are validated by third-party auditors. They're not validated by AWS. And wow. with these competencies, that also um, gives the customer a little bit of an inside what these organizations are capable of. So we are premier partner of AWS. We are premier partner of Google. We are also Microsoft Gold partner. So we are on the highest status with those three leading platform providers. And that hopefully speaks for itself. So it's not us saying that, yes, we can do this thing, but it's the platform providers who have validated that we can do it. Yeah, you know, my my grandpa used to always say, know me by my actions, not by my words. And clearly, your actions speak for themselves. If you just look at the accomplishments of your organization and all the incredible stuff you've done and the long tenure you've had in the marketplace, really terrific. And so is it uh, cloudcomrade.com? Is that the website? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, the email addresses are also very easy. It's Andy at cloudcomrade.com. So okay. we didn't put too much thought how to put it together. Well, no, that's terrific. And ladies and gentlemen, by all means, if you're operating in Southeast Asia, anywhere in Singapore, anywhere in that part of the world, really encourage you to look up Andy and his team uh, these are experts. And the one thing that I've always advocated, because, you know, it's in my opening, I'm no expert, but I know where to find them. When I talk to audiences, I always advocate to go out and line up with experts that you trust, partners you trust, because the problem is this business is just moving too fast. And we can't keep up and drag along this long chain of legacy technology and processes and then try to blend them together while we do our, our day job. And it's why folks like Andy and Cloud Comrade really 
have been so successful because they really fill an important role. And again, I'm going to advocate, reach out to Andy at cloudcomrade.com. He can help you out. Andy, thank you. This has been really terrific. I enjoyed so much talking with you and uh, kudos to you and your team and your enormous success. And hopefully we can have you back on the program again, maybe in the future. Awesome, Grant. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really enjoyed the, uh, the hour and um, thanks for the conversation. Yeah, it was terrific. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen, this time international from Singapore. It was a great episode. I thank you again, Andy. And ladies and gentlemen, I thank you very much for taking your time to listen, hopefully subscribe, like, share, uh, tell your friends. Really appreciate you listening. And we hope to see you again on the next episode of Talking Cloud. Thanks very much. Yeah.